Hey you. Yes, I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Warui Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you could support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at waterwaydeshow at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and MBs. It is Watery Desho, Stream of Thought. We're back after a bit of a break uh, in which I, the subtle doctor, by the way, in case you didn't know, obtained some much needed R&R. I'm back, back in the Frank saddle here to uh, diagnose this wonderful glorious train wreck of a robot anime and (laughs) (laughs) and with me as always uh cackling in the background is a is a winner a bronze medalist a life champion and uh expert level hacker uh shadon welcome shadon Hello, Doc. Just need to say right at the fore, folks, you don't need to be a doctor to diagnose what's wrong with this show. I cannot disagree with you. <laughs> uh, boy. Boy. This episode. Man. Uh, I know. I mean, I'm totally down for some darling in the Frank's position because that's what this episode mostly is. It sure was. It sure was. And, and it was uh, bad. Pretty bad, also. Uh, in a word, woof. Woof. Just as a, a quick note at the four, by the way, folks, I am currently wired on an energy drink, so if I'm more hyperactive and loud and shouty than, than normal, that's partly the episode's fault and that's partly my own. So, just points to throw there in case you're thinking, wow, is a shade of me, you know, doing a line of cocaine a mile long today? I'm like, no, just, just a monster energy drink, that's it. Uh, you've had a monster, and now let's try to tackle this monster. Indeed, indeed. Hey-o. Episode 19. Uh, the shittiest android in DBZ, Android 19. Uh, <laughs> fitting. <laughs> fitting. Uh, it's called Inhumanity, which is what I feel the show is uh, exacting upon me. Man's inhumanity to man. Yes. The Japanese title for this one. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I recently watched a video that talked about the you know the word, the English word for washing machine is, uh, I think it contains fifteen letters, and in Japanese, it's a mere three. Uh, this was talking about translating RPGs, and um, here the episode title in English is "Inhumanity," 
and how to say this in Japanese is hitu, uh, sorry, hito narazaru monotachi. So I found that amusing. It's much longer. <laughs> um, so let us discuss the episode director and writer for this week's. Oh, it's not this week's. We're behind. And I'm rusty. So it may take me a minute to settle back in to uh, to potting. Please bear with me. Uh, Takahiro Harada. So he did is... both. No, he's the um, he's the director uh, for night for nineteen. Uh, mm-hmm. Takahiro Harada, and uh, Masahiko Otsuka is the writer. Now Harada, he's been episode director before uh, for shows like Black Butler, Blue Exorcist. The second season of Birdie, the Mighty Decode, Occultic Nine, uh, more recently. Um, so he's, you know, a, a fairly experienced episode director. I don't see that he's been. Oh, he so he's been the chief director for, uh, you guessed it, an Idol Master uh, spinoff. I guess so. I'm un- totally unfamiliar. So this is the Idol Master side M, uh, which has its uh its fans its ardent fans of course um so he's the director for that and masahiro otsuka you might remember was the writer for frank's episode three way back in the the balmy days of episode three when we thought hey this show has potential it could really go somewhere (laughs) oh man i mean watching this show has made me feel like i've you know gone through a trench like you know i've been caught in a foxhole i have aged immensely like any naivete i had is now gone just (laughs) so it's accelerated the aging process upon you uh seriously like i'm gonna end up looking as old and as withered as dr franks himself by the end of this (laughs) like okay so it's so weird that Otsuka is associated with this show. I mean, I guess, you know, writers' resumes, right, are probably pretty checkered most of the time. Uh, you know, you have to put food on the table. So you have to write for projects that don't exactly, as a whole, reflect your talent. But, oh my god, this guy, like, directed three episodes of Furikuri, which is an incredible like perhaps masterpiece level anime uh directed very important episodes of kill a kill which i think i covered last time we talked about him directed episodes 13 and 24 so like the finale of kill a kill wrote the little witch academia movie and several episodes of the tv show which i love was the assistant director i did not cover this the last time Assistant director for two Studio Ghibli movies. Wow. Poco and Whisper of the Heart. Damn. So, I mean, he, he did a bunch of assistant director work and episode directing work on Evangelion. So, I mean, the man has credentials. And now he's written two episodes of of this bullshit. So... I don't know. I just throw my hands up, right? What are you going Dire- to do? Direction, writing. <laughs> I mean, that. God. All right. When we get into it, I'm going to actually need to discuss something about exposition because here's the sure. thing, right? 
I'm going to just throw out a very harsh truth to all would-be writers. Whether you're writing for comics, whether you're writing for video games, television, anime, novels. Doesn't matter. This is this is something for everyone. This is something I've realized myself. When you're planning a world, when you're, you know, developing a world for your characters to inhabit, you're probably very excited. You're probably thinking to yourself, I'm going to get every detail down to the smallest touch. I'm going to describe the textures of the cloths in the, you know, the drapery shops and all that in immense detail. If you're planning a city, you'll know where every cafe is, where every subway is. You, you get my point. You will think of it in absolute massive detail and you will be really, really excited to do it. The audience will not give two shits about that. They they will care about your world building if you make them care about the characters. And yep. on top of that, they will not care about your world building if you don't deliver it in a way that actually, you know, works or at least is engaging. Exposition, I'm very sorry to say, is crap. It is, by its very nature, I believe, a f- necessary evil. It is the death and taxes of writing. <laughs> no one wants to do it. If you want to do exposition, you are deluding yourself because it's it's honestly just rough trying to even get it done. I mean, one of the most annoying things for me in any medium is whenever I hear the phrase, as you know, like anytime those words get uttered, anytime those words get uttered, it just permanently marks the work for me because there's no way you should ever, you know, also, I mean, let me just throw it this way. It's a dark. <clears throat> well, as you know... Uh, David Hater was the voice of Solid Snake. So, like, like, what? Why would I ever say that to him? I would right. never, ever say something like that. So, when it comes to exposition, generally speaking, this is why you need things like audience proxies. You need a character who's not in the know, who the other character who is in the know can explain things to. And then that's organic. You know, they get explained. The audience in turn picks that up. By the way, uh, Kiefer Sutherland is the voice of Solid Snake. Thank you very much. Ah, but, 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 but. <laughs> as you know, video game player Shadon. Ah, but, ah, ah, but as of maybe just under 30 minutes ago, the E3 Nintendo press conference ended with a new Super Smash Brothers being announced in which David Hayter is reprising the voice of Snake for the, for the character. So... Ah, very, very good. Ah, you activated my trap card. <laughs> okay. Excellent. So what does this whole exposition thing have to do with anything well the vast majority of episode 19 of franks is exposition by dr franks it is a flashback of the majority of his adult life and there is a problem with it well there are many problems with it but the the problems that i'm referring to here is one of its construction i mean and it should have it's something that like you feel like they could have sprinkled in at different points rather than having to shove it all down our throat in this for an entire episode, bar like a couple of shortcuts um, yeah. that they did of the present. I agree wholeheartedly with you on that, Doc. But here's the thing as well. The context for Frank's having this particular flashback, or this series of flashbacks, is because Ape, in a conversation calling him over what is future Skype, you know, basically telling bitch please when he complains about, you know, Mitsu and Kokoro's <laughs> memories being erased. Um. By the way, I want to say right now, Apes explain to Franks that they only wiped Mitsu and Kokoro's memories because, you know, otherwise the rest of the squad would become disloyal, which seems to have the exact opposite effects in reality because the squad is very angry about them having done that. So my question to Ape is, why not wipe all their memories? 
Every single one of them. Completely and utterly formite to the bone. Ladies and gentlemen, here are the smartest people on planet Earth who managed to, like, take over the entire world. (laughs) I know. Their decision-making prowess and uh, intelligence is on display right here in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. So Franks now goes through this entire flashback sequence or series of sequences throughout the episode basically because he's pissed off at how Ape talks to him. Is he delivering this exposition to anyone in particular? No. He is essentially daydreaming. And we're the only people, audience or otherwise characters in the actual show, privy to this. And the thing yeah. that boggles my brain the most is there's such an easy solution to this. I am absolutely astounded to even consider it, which is why isn't Franks telling this information to Hero or Zero Two or Ichigo or anyone else? Because they all don't know any of this stuff. They are completely oblivious to the history of the world before they were born. In fact, be- while they've been living. So yeah. the easiest thing in the world would have been just for simply for Franks to sit Hero and Zero Two down somewhere and then go through it and say, look, I've done some stupid shit in my time. I've done some stupid shit to you two in particular. Let me at least try to I was going to say, well, they, they probably don't want to hear anything from him. I mean, Hero rightly said... I'll never forgive you for what you've in done. The, in the most piss-weak, mewling cat way ever. Oh my god. <laughs> like, I'll never forgive you, Franks. Like, fuck, <laughs> fuck off, hero. Like... What did you want him to do? Start to kick his ass or something? What was Franks gonna do? <laughs> I mean, okay, to be fair, like, you know, he is, like, got a metal robot hand and all that, but I expected something more than just, I'll never forgive you, and delivered in a plain, like, you know, voice. Like, Jesus Christ. Anyway, we'll get to that later. So, <laughs> my point of all this is, there are so many different ways that this exposition could have been delivered, rather than it being yeah. in this weird, you know, I'm pissy vacuum, like, that it happens in. So, regardless of what would have actually been said, it's already out the starting gate a failure. And this is not even, like, you know, experimental, like, you know, nouveau, like, highbrow writing Tech techniques here. This is the absolute <laughs> basics. Nouveau highbrow writing techniques. Yeah. We should start a writing school called the Nouveau Highbrow Writing Techniques School I'm, of Writing Techniques. I, honestly, I literally feel like doing a Gordon Ramsay and just getting two, like, you know, binders full of paper and pointing them <laughs> round the guy round the writer's head and going, You're a fucking idiot sandwich, mate. Like you are you are an idiot script. <laughs> Because this this is amateur hour shit. This is like what I would expect from, let's say, you know, someone in high school, whatever side of the pond you're from. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is this is just ugh. and then we've not even actually got into what Frank's actually says and reveals. Oh my god! Oh well, my Jesus Christ! As, as you know, Shadon, member of this podcast, <laughs> we have all these problems with the structure and execution of the writing and the plot holes and contradictions therein. But as I was telling you before, probably my biggest problem with the episode is apart from that. It's just that it really, it sets out to try to humanize this guy, Werner Frank. Uh, And (laughs) he doesn't really deserve to be like, even after I'm just like, I don't, I don't care. I feel no sympathy for this for this character and it's partly because the things that he did were so heinous and he doesn't appear remorseful and partly because like they just they 
don't do a great job with the character. He was honestly a little bit more interesting as an enigma. Yeah. Than as like a very rote, mad scientist, aesthete, uh, slash atheist. Yeah. As you know, I'm an atheist. <laughs> now I will cook all these unborn fetuses. Oh my... Ugh. You're absolutely right, though, Doc. I mean, the exposition, like, the things, the points that he gets across, like, with the world building and such, like, giving us information about the history before, you know, the, apo- the apocalypse that's happened, like, a lot of it is actually, as you rightly say, focused around on him interacting, like, you know, being humanized, like, ah, oh, you know, I don't want to, like, you know, become sterile, like, blah, 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 blah. I mean, all Milsa, it's just, it, you know, is it Katrina or Karina? Karina. All that she sort of exists to do in the show is to make Frank seem more human. And that's mm-hmm. kind of, that's sort of it. Yeah. Uh, and it just doesn't, it didn't work for me, man. <laughs> no. <laughs> At all. No. Like, this is, we're way past the point of being able to care about this character. I mean, I've made this joke off cast, I'm throwing out there now, he is the Hojo of this series. And expecting anything more than a Hojo level of sympathy from me is too much to ask. I don't think they should have wasted their time. Okay, uh, who is this uh, Hojo that you're speaking of? Uh, I want to thank um, you know, holy original character, uh, mad scientist, uh, I'm an atheist as well, you know, don't you know? You know, I so I now will continue to do my experiments. Uh, have you seen the queen? Have you seen the queen? She's beautiful. She is so beautiful. The queen. Fa- thank you, Dr. Franks, for phoning in to this particular podcast. Clink, clink, clink. I'm pinching my metal claw. Clink, clink. Do you hear it in the microphone? It's very good. Made it myself. I will tell you all about it, uh, if you would uh, permit me. No. <laughs> no, not not now, sir. Please no. settle down. Settle down, Frank. Piss off, Doctor Franks. No one likes you. Um. Oh God. Well, let's get to it in order then. I suppose let's start from the beginning because the beginning is a good place to start. In the year of twenty twenty-five. Wait a minute. Is that what year we are? That's that's what year the uh, uh, flashbacks begin in. Oh, okay, okay, that's right. Okay, so well, like you said though, pre pre op is like ape telling him off, right? Yep. Which we we covered that he and he says uh, they want to deal with me in this forceful way, but I was forceful too. As a wistful look in his one one human eye, cut to op, and then the flashback begins as you say in twenty twenty five. A mere seven years from now. I know, making the classic 90s action movie mistake of putting, you know, <laughs> the dates a bit too close. I mean, I'd have settled for 20XX here, and there's actually a legitimate complaint with regards to the timeline of this. Uh, but we'll get to that later once we find out, you know, where the flashbacks end uh, as time progresses. Because, uh, spoiler alert, the, f- the future of Franks is not so far away as it happens. Yeah. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's problematic. <laughs> The man has aged quickly. Uh, yeah. So, God, this whole exposition thing. Can I just say, by the way, that, that I myself am not necessarily opposed to it in principle, only because I've seen it done 
in a way that I really enjoyed it a couple of times. So I feel like it's possible to do it well. It's just extremely difficult yeah. to do it in a way that's engaging. The one example that I keep thinking of, and I know a lot of people do disagree with me about this, but I actually thought the first episode of Fate Zero handled exposition oh. really well. Oh, with the exposition dance. Yeah, the duel. I mean, I was like totally like riveted by that. I thought that that was a really cool and interesting way to do it. And at the time I watched it, like I wasn't a like a huge fan of fate or anything. Like I didn't really know all that much about the universe. I hadn't played the visual novels. I had seen, in fact, <laughs> I had seen the original anime. So I was predisposed to not like fate <laughs> hmm. before I watched Fate Zero. Yeah, and yet that exposition I thought was was good. Yeah, well, here's the thing from my perspective, right? It's been a while since I've seen Fate Zero, but there are two distinct things that I do remember about how it did that exposition. Uh, first off, it was the very, very first episode. Now, I'm not saying that Dowling and the Franks, the show, should have delivered all of the stuff that we learn in this episode right at the very beginning. But there is certainly a, you know, a sense of pacing that should be afforded with these reveals. And that doesn't happen. Like, this is five episodes before the end. So what needs to be revealed here needs to dramatically alter our understanding of the world around, of the world, you know, in the show. That does not happen. No. Nope, it does not. No. It, it does not answer the vast majority of the questions that we've had. As a matter of fact, it actually raises more questions and also flat out contradicts itself or doesn't make sense. Secondly, the exposition that's being delivered in Fate Zero is to, I believe, is it, what was, God, what was the name of the priest dude again? The Ah, the, I oh, I cannot remember. I so I, <laughs> I feel so bad because I should know this. It's a uh, Kire Kotomine, isn't it? Kotomine, yes, that's right. Kotomine, yeah. right? Here's the thing: Kotomine is having stuff explained to him. This is why I said before about having an audience proxy because he knows nothing about the Holy Grail War or the rules of it. So, okay, yes, that first episode of Fate Zero was forty minutes long. There was a lot of stuff to be dumped there. But at least it was being explained to someone who, in-universe, didn't know the game that they were about to play. Mm. Who is Frank's explaining his, you know, flashback to? His own metal palm. <laughs> Beats the fuck out of me? I ain't got a clue. So, even whatever complaints you might have about Fate Zero's first episode being, you know, overly long and overly, you know, dumping it early, at least it, A, did it early. I mean, perhaps maybe too early, you could argue, but at least it got it out of the way early. And B... It did it so, you know, organically to a character who didn't know anything, as opposed to Frank's just monologuing. I mean, I'm literally surprised he wasn't holding a Klaxoscore skull in his hands or something like that while doing this. <laughs> I'm genuinely shocked that that's not the case. Yeah, I barely knew ye, you know. <laughs> Alas, poor Karina. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, we find out uh, about Ape briefly. Uh, but we find out that they're mysterious, which we already knew. Uh, they're a mysterious organization who discovered magma energy. Mm-hmm. And because of that, like, basically took over the world, gained influence uh, in politics and economics, changed the globe, um, and this magma energy somehow, like, when injected into people, makes them immortal? Which I think was part of what Franks figured out, right? He wanted the, they hired they so the, these people ape hire Werner Frank 
to do this magma energy research in their quest to discover human immortality. That's right. And all this happens pre... Do you call it pre-apocalypse? I mean, they don't really speak of an apocalypse. The only sort of apocalyptic event is they say the Klaxosaurs appeared. But they don't talk about the destruction of the world. They do talk about, like, the plantations, but that was before the Klaxosaurs showed up. Well, the desertification as well that happens as a result yeah. of the... That, I would argue, is an apocalypse thing. I mean, that's what happens in Mad Max oh, after all. So I... Okay, so I misread that. I misunderstood what they were talking about. With, so the desertification was just... As they used more magma energy, uh, the planet uh, became depleted. That is correct. I, okay. Frank, Frank, okay. Sa- Frank says that. He says that, yeah, you you know, like, we figured out that was the case. There was a link to it, but did anyone do anything about it? No. And I'm like, Captain Planet, he's <laughs> a hero, gonna take... <laughs> I'm Pollution a, look, down to zero. I mean, I'm sorry, that's the level of which this examination is going to. That's barely what it means. I get the analogy here. I really do. Oil. That's what it is. Or Mako Energy. And <laughs> More Final Fantasy VII crit. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, I've been making those jokes all this time, but we are literally that close to it being plagiarism. Seriously, I mean... I mean if we're, we, might, we might find out in the later episode that Magma Energy actually is just souls. And that's why it makes you immortal, because you're injecting all, you're injecting all these past lives into your into your body it really wouldn't surprise me and then they really will be full-on plagiarizing the live stream from ff7 uh, just just i don't even i don't even <sighs> what if what if, and then one of the robo bishops will stand up and go ha, 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 and the other will stand up and go ha, ha, ha. and at that point you know like you know well, get, just to say something, folks, at this point, uh, because we are, of course, slightly behind, I have actually already seen episode 20. Doc is not. And I'm not <laughs> no, gonna, I haven't. And I'm not going to spoil anything for Doc over than to just make this warning. Be careful what you wish for. Oh, my Jesus Christ. All right. Gonna, let's push on. I can't even dwell on that to think about it. No, don't. Uh, please don't. Enter. Lady. Fan. Scientist. Coworker. Researcher. Karina. Milsa, mm-hmm. who has an eye for young Werner, and uh, she's read all of his stuff. Uh, and when he finds out who she is, he's taken aback because he knows her stuff. And they get to work together to do what? I mean, who fucking knows what kind of experiments they did, right? I mean, you can only imagine. Well, about about that actually, as it happens. Uh, so yes, as we said before, like Magmarangi can apparently make you immortal now. I mentioned before that this flashback, when Franks is, you know, hired by apes to do these experiments, was dated 2025. We get that on the middle of the screen. There's no doubt in that. Cut to 2030, a mere five years later. And it turns out that Franks and Karina and some other unnamed third dude who I don't know and don't care about have declared that their experiments are successful and they have stopped the aging process. Now, forgive me for being, you know... Skeptical of this and wanting this particular thing to be peer reviewed, but five years is not a particularly great time to declare, you know, someone as being immortal. I think that's jumping the gun a touch because the person they're doing this on looks like a regular bloke. If, I mean, here's the thing about being immortal, right? There's a number of ways in which that works. Do they stop aging? Do they continue to age? Like, 
you know, but they just never ever like you know die once they reach like you know eighty and like you know they're all wrinkled, or do they stop aging there and then? Like, what if you do it to kids? I like uh, Frank's like, mate, your PhD ain't worth shit because <laughs> you are jumping to conclusions a touch there. I mean, did you keep this man in this tube for five years? You know, while you pumped him full of magma energy to see if he did age or not? How did you determine that? They have an aging pill that they take that ages you rapidly. It's called <laughs> Darling in the Franks, the anime. It's blocked. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, <sighs> all right. Yeah. Uh, oh, one thing I didn't touch on before he was hired, they do the stupid, like, you know, uh, what is the university or whatever that he's working for, the the chancellor or head of his department. They don't really know who this is. His boss is basically like, well, I've decided to send you to Ape, uh, mainly because, like, you do some awful experiments, namely cloning ones that are unethical. And uh, Frank's response to charges of lack of morals, lack of ethics and scientific practice is, I'm an atheist, you know. And that's not really an answer to that because uh, whether or not you believe in a god or any kind of higher power, there's not a logical connection between that and whether or not you believe in morality. Exactly. Relative or or objective. Like, some people argue that there is. Uh, I don't agree. But the show uh, is not being, like, super subtle about this sort of thing. And the show is, I think, where you rightly take issue. And you have this character, like, Franks, who is doing these awful things and doesn't feel any remorse and only only follows the science where it leads to get the conclusions to see sort of the apex of humanity for a while. Uh, that's his motive. Uh, and he can do this because he's not bound by the shackles of any, of any God or religious system. Uh, so are the words from his own mouth. And uh, it's just, it's very, God, it's so like, just amateurish and lacking in any kind of understanding or nuance or anything good just lacking in anything good yeah i'm gonna add as well that i'm fairly confident that you know cloning uh, human cloning in particular um to the point where frank's is he's flat out already like the very first shot we see of the flashback is of him of like tubes of like fetuses and mass and you know and all that like I am fairly confident that the, you know, cloning human um, tissue and cloning humans in full or in utero or whatever is banned under uh, at least one of the UN conventions. Mm-hmm. I think that would be, that would seems to me like what it would be the case of, because I know that you could do things like clones, you know, grow stem cells and whatnot, but we've not even got to the point now in real life, like cloning like human organs and whatnot. But here's the thing, right? Religion, you know, or the absence thereof, regardless of, you know, the morality thing, like, I am actually legitimately surprised the Chancellor at no point has just simply not thrown Franks out or had him arrested. Like, forget the whole morality thing. Where's the le- where's the legal element? Yeah. Why, is, mm-hmm. why is no one just simply just kicked him out? I mean, 
Christ, if Peter Venkman can be thrown out for doing Ghostbuster research, then I don't see any reason they can't get rid of, you know, Dr. Frankie or whatever his fucking name is. Actually, come to think of it, why does his name change to Frank's? Uh, Pass, move on. Well, so... <laughs> oh, no, no, face. no, no. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. I know, because you know why. double X. <laughs> the chromosomes. That's so, that's so dumb. Oh my uh, god. Yeah. Yeah, they call him that after the project, and they named the project after him. So Ugh. fucking hell. Um so I the reason I wanted to circle back to that is because uh you have this scene when they've discovered, so they say, immortality. Uh the immortality serum. Uh Franks believes that the side effect, the main side effect, will be that you will lose your ability as a human to reproduce. Mm-hmm. You'll become sterile. And he's kind of, uh, you know, he he will continue to pursue this ultimately because he wants to see where the end of human evolution is. He wants to see how far humanity can get. But he's bummed out because this loss of uh mortality and the loss of reproductive ability uh mars the beauty of of humanity and so again this is like the again like walking right through that door of super trite mad scientist character you know you've you've just made me realize something if he he said like you know let's see what the end process of evolution is mm-hmm. um but he doesn't want to then take the immortality, you know, treatment that would allow him to see Correct. that through. Yeah. What? Again, and this is and this is, I think, a another pretty like uh standard characteristic of uh the unhinged scientist. They want to be a detached observer and see where things go from their vantage point, the vantage point of the scientist that's studying, that's uh, injecting, that is test tubing and, and pushing things along, uh, but not a test subject themselves. Uh, themselves, sorry. Uh, and yeah, that's Werner Franks. He's aesthete, atheist, scientist. Uh, yeah, like, again, super duper hackneyed, in my opinion. Uh, as a character type, uh-huh. um, not really, not really feeling him as a character at this point. And again, in the scene, he reiter- he reiterates for us uh, that he's an atheist because uh, Milsa says, "Well, once we evolve enough and we cease to be mortal, uh, will we be humans or will we be gods at the end of that evolutionary path?" And he simply responds with. I'm an atheist, you know. And I rolled my eye so very hard. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, at that point, uh, in the middle of an exposition-heavy explainer flashback, we get a fucking info dump. So this is like like the on the weather map. This is the red eye of the storm. This is the nexus of info dumpiness. An info dump in the middle of an info dump. <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> you're not wrong and he just starts 
I don't even have any notes on it. I mean, it's just him saying, so the world changed after we became immortal and the planet started becoming a desert and the plantations and governments and an ape. Immortality is only available for the rich as well. Apparently. Yeah, that that lasted about two lines in the script. Oh, yeah, because like, <laughs> contradicts himself later on. Fantastic. I mean, we don't get to see any picture of the world where the wealthy monopolize immortality. Yeah. It just, like, skip ahead in the timeline, and it's now a feature of the species. The, the most we get is a visual comparison of skyscrapers versus what looks like Brazilian faelas, but right. that's it. That, we don't actually see any people here, or what that means, like, you know... What, I mean, what good does it even do? Like, I mean, at some point, your show has to, is, functions as a TV show and not a history lesson. Like, yeah. if, if a, there's a detail of the world's history in this very limited amount of space you have that lasts, like, a year or two or five, and it just isn't important, like, why even bring it up? It serves no purpose. It was... Yeah. Whatever. I mean, I you would just assume that would be the this case and, and state of things anyway. Mm-hmm. But God, whatever. Uh, and at this point in the show, we have our first uh, switch back to the present. And uh, I think it's the first of two. Uh, yeah, for, for, there are a couple of different scattered scenes uh, of the kids in the present as they're dealing with the aftermath of, you know, Food, uh, sorry, not Satoshi. Uh, although I wish he had had his memory mites. Then again, <laughs> does he have much brain matter in there anyway to wipe in the first place? I don't know. <laughs> oh, oh Futoshi. Yeah, th- there's two of these in the middle of the flashback. Of course, there's there's some present stuff after the flashback is over, but like these felt really disjointed. I, I would have actually ap- appreciated this technique if they switched back and forth between past and present a couple more times and kind of made it the motif of the episode. But it just felt really weird. Like, if it, it felt like, oh, God, the flashback's only going to be 18 minutes long. Well, we gotta, we gotta have a couple more scenes. We Absolutely. But here's the thing, right, okay. I'm going to actually skip ahead a little bit here and just reveal that, yes, Karina does have the hots for Doxa Franks. And they actually have a scene later, after this first flashback, that is about them getting, you know, suggest, her suggesting that they get married. Now, we'll come to that scene in a bit. But here's the thing, right? If you want to do these transitions well, what you could potentially have done, in my opinion, is to tie that of Karina and Frank's being partners in one quote with the discussion that happens between Mitsuru and Kokoro here, mm-hmm. and also Fatoshi, of them not being partners, you know, have like a link, a thematic bridge between that and that. That could have worked if they had rearranged the scenes. Do they? No. It's just a hard cut back to where we, you know, back to the present day. Because you're supposed to be smart enough to figure that out for yourself. <sighs> Don't make me put it on a platter for you just because you can't understand. Don't fault the show. Ugh. Anyway, let's talk about Mitsuru Kokoro and blah, blah, blah. blah. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot to say. No, there, there, there I is. <laughs> I have, I have I do have something I want to say on this. About, okay, so, I, do, I just didn't have a lot of strong, like, this scene I, is just Futoshi saying, absolutely not, out of the question. I'm I not pilot. your partner. I'm out. Partner with your boyfriend that you don't remember. Oh, I'm sorry, your husband. See that ring that's still on your finger inexplicably? That means you're married. Uh, yeah, so... 
okay, Doc is right. There's not a lot much to this scene, really. It's just Mitsu and Kokoro talking to like, I don't remember any of this. I'd never do that. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever. The direction in this scene is absolutely shocking. The cuts and the framing of it, like they have a shot of, <laughs> me, of Kokoro, but it's like, it's, it's, like, it's like watching it on a smartphone, but it's somehow on your telly. It's like it's in it's like it's in 360p. What the fuck were they doing with this? Like I've praised Frank's direction before, but they also have like a shot of like Kokoro looking up at Meatstru, but like they're on opposite sides. Is that meant to see like they're not seeing eye to eye? What what is going on? Like this is going too far. This for for a scene in which tells us very little other than yes, they don't remember each other or their previous experiences. The direction is all over the shop. I was actually laughing when that instant shot of Kokoro's tiny face in the middle of the screen surrounded completely by black background came in. It looked like a YouTube thumbnail. It was <laughs> embarrassing. I, I, I don't necessarily not appreciate, you know, trying to, you know, be experimental, but sometimes simplicity is art itself. So, by God, that was just bizarre. Yeah, they replicated... Uh, Frank's experimental failures in the lab with the cinematography. <laughs> I know, I know. And then it's twenty foot. It's twenty thirty six. Woohoo! Uh, and like you said before, they have their date, uh, Milsa and Frank's, because Frank's is a human too. Feel for him. <laughs> oh no, that ain't happening. But just to backtrack, um, when this when we cut back to twenty thirty six, Frank's. Uh, reveals to us, the audience, that humanity's immortality rate has exceeded 70% with the remainder to follow soon. I have questions. One, whatever happens to the poor and, uh, you know, the poor and rich divide here, it's been nine years. No, no, actually, no. It's been less than that because... Truly substantial change. (laughs) Yeah, it's been six years since they perfected the immortality treatment. So, A, do they even know it works? B, are you telling me that literally every single person below a certain breadline level is now dead? And because, and you know, right. the line here suggests everyone's going to get it. So, what? Is this, you know, the single-payer healthcare system that conserves his fear or some shit? What the fuck is going on? Like... It'd be nice to know. I mean, you could theorize, but... This scene is mere minutes after each other. If this was honest... if I've seen the script books they use for this show... This is literally on the next page, as far as I'm concerned. Possibly the same page. Possibly the same page. Like, okay, I've made concessions before about, you know, plot points being inconsistent between episodes, but in the very same episode, what is going on? This is embarrassing. This is just, this is pathetic. What happened to Otsuka? What happened? I I don't even know. But yes, the date. So... Yeah, she uh, reveals she has the hots for him in a sort of uh, amusing roundabout way. And he said, you have terrible taste. And I agree. Uh, You do, poor Milsa, uh, plot device that you are. I'm glad Um, to see that Frank says something with some accuracy at some point in this entire (laughs) flashback. The one one correct thing. (laughs) Uh, And of course, by the way, they both reveal on this that they, they as as you point out about Frank's the same is true for her they don't want to be immortal uh because uh he i don't even know why he doesn't really uh apart from he just wants to observe it from without uh and then Melissa wants to have a baby 
um, which, you know, you can't do once you get injected. And but I feel like you could almost make a cool book or movie or short series about just that principle alone. Like immortality has been discovered, but it has all these side effects. And mm-hmm. how do people cope how do people cope with that? And like what's the family life and daily life and what are the politics around all that? Like that'd be really neat to like zoom in and dive into all that about the world, but you know, that's not what this show is uh, interested in. No. So uh one year later, the Claxosaurs make their appearance under the world stage. Godzilla thirty seven. Clax attack. The noisy reptiles. <laughs> They're attracted to the magma mines. And uh presumably before this energy was discovered by Ape, uh they were hanging out below the Earth's surface and uh just enjoying it. Uh it's revealed later that their civilization is quite old. So I am biting my fist so hard right now, but I'm not going to tell you why. <laughs> so when when they show up, they cause mass destruction. Cue the Persona Three uh, music. They they cause mass destruction and are only stopped by nukes, right? Um, mm-hmm. And of course, at this point, uh, what's his face? Frank's is like smitten with the Claxosaurus. Uh, so very unsurprising that this kind of, you know, he would fall in love with the subject of his future experiments, uh, uh-huh. the that he is. And we have some scenes of him neglecting his, uh, fiance and then she dies. Oh, before you get, before we get to that, uh, don't forget, he goes and finds the Klaxosaur corpse in Alaska that's been dragged up and Doc. What does he find out that's in the corpse? Well, he says, I discovered that the XX chromosomes from female humans were in the Claxosaurus. I didn't know exactly what this meant, but I knew it would be trouble. I had a bad feeling about it, he says. Now, I took great issue with this line. Uh... And perhaps I'm not being 100% uh, fair. And perhaps the operative word, the, the word you need to be looking at in this line is human. There are human chromosomes in the Claxosaurus. Claxosaurus share DNA-wise something with people. Mm-hmm. And that's troubling to him. But the way it's written, and this could be a translation thing, uh, but I'm going to like trust to the accuracy of the Crunchyroll script. You know, it, it goes out as it says, like, the, it had chromosomes of female humans. And that was bad. <laughs> that was trouble. It just, like, in, in, the, in most other shows, like, divorce from the context uh, of Franks and all the, you know, gender politics and sexist stuff that's been in here, it would be, like, more forgivable, but man just attached to all the baggage, uh, it's a really bad look. It's a yeah. really, really bad look. I have I have nothing to add. It, it, right, okay, actually, I do have something to add. So, this line functionally exists to explain later, when the f- actual Frank's robots are developed, why they need a, ma- a male and female pairing. And I'm going to actually quote from a video I watched by Dan Olsen, uh, who 
who does uh, a number of wonderful YouTube videos and series on various various techniques. I learned about the Kuleshov effect from him. He's a, he's a sound guy, so uh, do check him out if you get the chance. Folding but, ideas. Folding ideas, yeah. And he discussed uh, the idea of what's called the Fermian argument, uh, or the idea of diegetics. Now, I've actually used diegetics as a defense before, but after watching his video on this, it doesn't fly anymore because... At the end of the day, something that in-universe makes sense is still penned by a human hand. It doesn't need to be that way. Nothing needs to be the way it needs to be. You can make anything up you need to. So it's always, inevitably, regardless of, you know, what sense makes in-universe, still a function of -of out-of-universe perspective. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing, right? Even though this line functionally exists to explain later why they need the male and female pairings in the Franks... It's still the creation of someone out of universe. It's still been penned by someone. So it's still dumb. It's still stupid. I mean, it's stupid in universe. I don't care like how much sense it makes otherwise. But as Doc has rightly said, it's not a good look for this show. I mean, this show's optics, generally speaking, are terrible. Absolutely <laughs> appalling. I mean... I've I've railed about like you know the stuff in one of the previous episodes about zero to you know pontificating on the future being you know a kids only avenue and oh fucking boy do I have no I can't spot it. shut 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 me whole mouth I so shut. like how does this make this link clear between how discovering double uh, X chromosomes in the uh, corpse here of the Claxosaur sort of justifies or, or explains the male-female pairing in the well, cockpits. I might potentially be revealing details that are given away in episode 20 by accident okay. here. Uh, just take it from okay. me, like... Consider it, it con- consider me okay to be spoiled. Just say what you need to say. I think that at some point in 20, it's explained that basically the soul of the female binds with the Klaxosaur because of the female chromosomes. That's why you can't have a bloke in the, uh, the pistol section. Wow. Man, they re- it really is uh, in the, the lineage of Evangelion. I mean, that's just... Well, there's, wow. an ev- there's an Evangelion homage visually with what happens with the first Frank's prototype in this episode mm-hmm. as it happens. Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, and this is a trigger... Copro and oh yeah, they yeah. are also descended from Gainax and everything. So to be expected, and and you know Otsuko, like we were talking about, worked on it, and several people that have worked on the show worked on that in some capacity or were influenced by it. So yeah, I mean whatever. It, it means so many. If we were going to penalize anime for being influenced by Evangelion, then you have to penalize a hell of a lot of anime. <laughs> but like, but man, that's a very that's an that's an interesting. Uh, plot detail hmm, i'll have to ruminate on that because yeah like you said that's certainly not in this episode no um but i do then have to ask the question come to think if that's the case and how do you explain uh, nine alpha hmm hmm or actually something about zero two which we'll get to soon enough uh, although I have a feeling there's another explanation this but this here's the thing about this exposition folks in case you've not gathered there's a lot of stuff it does not explain that it really yeah. ought to. In fact, the nines are not mentioned once in this entire dump. Where do the nines Lost come position. from? Because Am I, I have, right? Yeah, because I have questions, right, about 
like the ver the very existence of the nines raises a ton of plot holes as a result of this, but we'll get to that soon. So anyway, back to whatever the fuck Franks was talking about. Cliff's notes position. Am I right? I know. Uh, huh? Oh, oh, ah, well now we get to the Ava reference, actually, funnily enough. Now we do get to it. It's true. Uh, with Milsa. R Rip Milsa. I right? have Because they, they, she becomes a test subject. Uh, for Frank's put, puts up a one hell of a fight. <laughs> uh, he does. He oh does. no. Why do you want to do this? To do this. You're doing this. Great. I have questions, by the way. I'm going to raise my hand here while I ask this. First off, um, okay, Frank's is, by all accounts, a geneticist. So what fucking business does he have developing giant robots? Well, you, he told that to Ape when they hired him. That this is beyond the field of my expertise. <laughs> but, well, and to, well, to be fair, they actually didn't hire him to make robots. That was a change in his job duties even later, so... But he doesn't know uh, the first yeah, thing about it, though. Fair fucking question. Yeah, well, the, yeah, developing some sort of uh, weapon. You'd think, like, he would want to make some sort of chemical weapon, but he's building robots. Yeah, or, you know... Uh virus or something i don't know mm -hmm. um second question the reason that karina is serving as a test subject is because it turns out that the franks must be piloted by people who still possess their reproductive functions i mean how they come to this i have no fucking clue nope nor do i now i had speculated in a previous stream of thought that the reason this was the case um because nana said as much um is a body morphism kind of thing. The Franks are all designed to look like women or fe have the female form, and ergo they must be possessed of a consciousness with a female body. That still doesn't account for Nyanosa, but neither does what we hear here about, you know, the whole females needing to... Whatever, you get my point. So, in other words, it's not a question of actually possessing, you know, the shape, more as it is possessing, you know, fertility. I have a question then. If that is the case... How can Zero Two pilot a Franks? Because by her own admission, she is sterile. Well, because my guess would be the fact that she is like the direct clone of the Queen trumps all other considerations. This was the thing I was hinting at with Nine, with the Nines actually, and that's why they circumvent the whole you know female mm -hmm. thing. Then I have another question in response to that, because the problem with plot holes is that sometimes when you close them up with an explanation, you create another. Why aren't ev why isn't every single kid bred to be a half-human, half-Klaxosaur hybrid? They only had so much DNA. <laughs> I don't know. That's a great question. Because the thing is, right, the reason that Zero Two is as good a pilot as she is is because she apparently is able to tap into greater amounts of magma energy to power Strelizia's weapons. That's why Strelizia is as OP as it is, because she functions as the conduit to allow that to happen. You couldn't put each mm -hmm. go in Strelizia's cockpit and have it work. So by that measure of logic, therefore, if you want to make the best Frank's robots possible, you would want, you know, all of the, you know, pistols at the very least to be, you know, hybrids, mm -hmm. like she is. And certainly the Nines but have their own custom Frankses that are better than the regular ones. We've seen that. So why isn't that the case with every kid? Fucks if I know. This is the thing, right? This is what you get when you don't fucking think about your world building, about the plot points you're afraid. When you don't take a step back to say, right, let me have a proper think about what this... Alright, that doesn't make sense. I should probably rewrite this. This is bollocks. 
This is absolute bollocks. Like, at this point, I still don't know why Zero Two revealed, you know, that she's sterile. Apart from, uh, you know, pontificating in a way that really pissed me off. But again, just... <laughs> right. A bit, but again, like, you know, speaking outside of, like, you know, the whole politics and, you know, what you can read into it, from a purely logic standpoint, it just contradicts what we know. And mm-hmm. again, Franks does not... Like, Doc has said, like, yes, it turns out Zero Two is indeed a clone or, you know, a solid snake kind of, you know, bastardization of the Klaxosaur princess of Sarah Kerrigan. So, okay, we get that. Do we learn anything about why he decided to do this or where the nines came from? No. We don't. Fucking my god. Because they're going to give it to us later in some tossed off line. (laughs) Which, I mean, god, there's, it may sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because I'm complaining about a huge episode devoted to all this when you could have drips and drabs and then I'm complaining about tossed off lines it's because that they have devoted this whole episode to explaining everything that I feel like you can get all that stuff out of the way so that we can kind of see all the unfolding consequences without uh, too many more looming questions kind of nagging dangling threads plot holes to worry about like it's that they have picked their sort of poison. They have chosen the way that they're going to do it. And that's to, you know, feed it to us whole hog in this episode. And then a couple of other places in the show, they've, they've uh, devoted really big chunks of time to setting things up or explaining or, you know, expositing. Yeah. Uh, So if they, I wouldn't be so mad about them possibly in, um, this is all hypothetical anyway, like revealing kind of quickly and in a sort of toss-off manner uh, about the nines, if they had chosen that as their delivery mechanism for exposition throughout the show, then it would feel like more clean, cohesive, uh, and all of that. Whereas it would just feel like, oh, this is something that we forgot to do, or this mm-hmm. is a very under undercooked explanation. Yeah. On top of that, that I have no faith that we're going to get any of these questions answered by the show's end for two reasons. One, because we are very close to the end. And yeah. and number two, the person who's given us this exposition is one of the most informed characters in the entire show, if not the most, with the exception of possibly the eight members and Sarah Kerrigan. So if it ain't coming from him, when he's devoting so much time to explain it from beginning to end, we're not going yeah. to fucking hear it, period. I wouldn't be surprised if we got an episode from the point of view of Alpha 9. Not that, not in this late hour. It's too late for that. Put Don't put it past the show, man. I'm telling oh, you. Oh, God. It would be, <laughs> that, would, that would be so weird. Then again, then again, I will allow that because I've just remembered that in Ancient Mages Bride, they did devote a very late episode to Cartophilius' backstory. Mm-hmm. And he fulfills a broadly the same I say very very broadly here the same kind of function so it could happen but here's the problem uh, in Ancient Mages' Bride that was handled really well and this is Darling in the Franks the show that would tie its own shoelaces together if given the opportunity I'm just gonna assume faulty execution yeah. going forward from, ev- uh, from everything in this show indeed but yes uh, Karina dies in a homage to you know uh, Ray's uh, Mm-hmm. Ava smashing its head against the wall. Yes, and 
frags the show's about two seconds of like reactionary grief and then that's kind of it yeah he gives her a very play grave in the middle of absolutely nowhere which is just hilarious like does he actually put the grave you know say in the plantation where or somewhere he can you know visit it no he just drops in the desert somewhere great what a wonderful fiance she was born in 19 she has surely family or something oh this is the thing about the timeline like oh man the timeline Ah, uh, uh. So yes, it's a, so because of course the adults are all sterile. Um, this is where Franks gets the idea of you know cloning, breeding, test tube babying kids to serve as the pilots because you can then have them you know be disposable soldiers who can pilot. Questions one: They don't necessarily have to be children. I've said this before. And now that we've got it out in the open, I'm going to ask again, why can't they be adults? Because adults, you know, generally speaking, are more resistant to injury than kids. They're also generally smarter and better educated. Maybe that's it. Maybe they want to keep them obedient. And perhaps children are just more inclined to be obedient. Well, I suppose that's true. They don't say that? (laughs) I suppose it's also true, like, you know, that they're easier to restrain if they get out of line, perhaps. Um, But the honest reason I feel it's this case is because, again, we want to, you know, have the target audience be able to identify. Exactly. Yeah. Particu- yep. Particularly, you know, people who want to self-insert in Hero's shoes because he's that fucking, you know, holy and, and sacrosanct dickhead. Um, so, okay, there's that. Next thing I want to ask. In rearing the kids, Frank describes how the idea of Misselheim is formed for each plantation as a quarantine zone to keep them there. And he says, the kids' emotions uh. were left untouched because they were necessary. Yeah, it's like they need emotions, and these antiquated environments are good for fostering them. Yes. That's why they made the academy or whatever it is. Yes. Except, <laughs> there's a big <laughs> exception here, because again, this just makes you think that Frank. Hugely glaring. <laughs> yeah. There's a bit of an except, there's a bit of a problem with this, because. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, would-be listeners at home or wherever you may be, and uh, if I am wrong on this, I'm more than happy to be corrected because it will solve a wonderful contradiction here that Frank's come up with, but Squad 13 were set out aside so they did not have their emotions tampered with. So I thought, I mean... Yeah, and the rest guess, of the squads... I guess you could you could retcon, explain it, and be like, well, no, like, they... Well, you know what, Never as I'm saying this out loud... I mean, all the kids have to have reproductive functionality, or they couldn't pilot the robots. Yeah. So the only the only differentiator, the only ex- like variable that they're testing is the is the emotions. I mean, what else are they? How else are they an experimental group? The fact that they had different Frank's robots, but then again, why did they have those in the first place? Doesn't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, um, honestly, like with everything that Frank's is talking about here, you can just ignore it. He contradicts previously established plot points, or he doesn't tell you anything of value, or, as you've rightly pointed out, takes time to, you know, try and relate events that make him seem human, when in reality we should have no sympathy for him whatsoever. So, if I were to say something, I'd say, this episode is a waste of time. It doesn't tell us anything, and what it does tell us contradicts what we've already given and established. So what the fuck is the point? Well, speaking... Well, no, you know what? Before we talk about more inconsistency, 
let's get another unexplained thing out of the way. I know what you're gonna uh, say. Yeah, you do. Uh, when they're uh, when Frank's is speaking about you know uh, having successful test subjects in the Franks, um, a boy and a girl, he mentions injecting them with yellow blood cells, mm-hmm. and then doesn't explain what those things are. <laughs> Yeah. In the first um, place. I have questions about this as well. Okay. How was um, Karina able to activate the Franks in the first place without yellow blood cells? Because she wouldn't have had them prior to that. Yeah, well, the, he says that that the yellow blood cells were the thing that um, reduced the stress. So it, it wouldn't necessarily be, I don't think, at least going from the text itself, something necessary for activation but for survival once activated. Okay. Um, second but question. But so what the fuck are the yellow blood cells? Se- second question. Why are they injecting them? Are they just thought, cells? I don't know. But second question. Why are they injecting them? Because I thought the kids made them on their own as part of like some sort of genetic modification. I mean, the kids aren't injected with yellow blood cells otherwise that I know of. Then again, they did have some previous... Fuck it, who cares? Let's not think about the yellow blood cell shit because it just... <laughs> I mean, they just don't explain what they are. I'd, I'd just like to know what they are, is all. Um, they seem to be quite key. Yeah, the only reason that they exist, I can think of, is because they are used as an explanation for Hero's techno-cancer. And, you know, him his inability mm-hmm. to pilot. They're midi-chlorians, like I said. But And Mitsuru had a deficiency or something. How did you get efficiency by like, but whatever? I mean, these kids. This is a thing. Like when you're cloning soldiers, you can get rid of genetic deficiencies that would stop. Fuck it. No, shut up. <laughs> Every little thing just falls apart right here. <laughs> My God. Boy, oh boy. <sighs> anyway, uh, we have our we have our second switch. Oh, here. this scene. This scene, man. This is the. This one's pretty baffling to me. In 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 universe out. Considering what we know about the production in our world, it makes sense. You can come up with a credible theory to explain how this goes, but it's to do with Zorame. And uh, (laughs) in this scene, he suddenly remembers his filial piety, uh, his devotion to Papa. Mm -hmm. And, you know... Everyone else is getting mad, the fact that uh, Kokoro and Mitsuru have had their memories stolen. Uh, and Zorme kind of looking down, looking around, shuffling a little bit. It's like, well, I'm sure Papa has his reasons. What? What? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, some 11th hour like return to previous... It, it makes sense with early show Zorme, but like... The previous episodes, we have seen... When he was eating. Yeah, like, sort of, like, you know, fuck Papa. Like, we'll make our own food, you know, to survive. When he's, you know, rallying Futoshi. And then he got behind the wedding just as much as anyone else, even though he knew it was forbidden. Yeah, uh, he he actually... Wasn't he the one who actually got clocks in the head uh, by by one of the guard's rifles when he protested? When they invaded? He was, wasn't he? I can't he? remember. He, wa- he was. I'm fairly confident it was him who got knocks out. Because he actually said, uh... hey, don't you do not you do that. I'm... So, okay, as Doc has brightly pointed out, this scene technically works just fine. Because 
Xarme, like the storyboarding, Xarme is not looking at anyone when he's saying this. He's looking down at the ground. And he his voice actor credits it credits them is, you know, going murmuring under his breath. It's mm-hmm. a, it's natural behavior for someone who's not entirely convinced of what they're saying, but he's throwing them out there because they don't want to feel like they're, you know, going against a grain of sorts. And again, as Doc has rightly asserted, this is entirely in character with early shows Zarame. Now, I wouldn't be adverse to, you know, characters changing as they go along. But bear in mind, we had the, the wedding in which he protested, you know, the guards invading, or, the, 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 sorry, tongue-tied here, or, you know, the whole he, him saying, sod praying to Papa, I made my own food. So, as we've speculated, like, you know, with this show's production, this to me just feels like, again, that they're not even considering the, uh, you know, the context of previous episodes. In a vacuum, yeah. this is perfectly fine. It works well. They've obviously put some thought into it, but they've completely forgotten about his previous, you know, changes of heart. So yeah, I thought he was like evolving as a character. I mean, I'm not opposed to people behaving inconsistently either. I don't want uh, you guys to think, well, characters have to behave in this logical fashion once they proceed down a, a path that is their trajectory. They're not allowed any hesitation. No, no, no. But there just was no kind of evidence or behavior or anything between his kind of going against Papa and now where suddenly he seems to think that Papa's the fact that Papa has a reason for this craziness is good enough. Mm -hmm. And it just was not executed in a way that I found believable. It truly did feel like that someone had just not taken his actions from the last few episodes into account. No, exactly. I mean, if they had devoted some time to, like, maybe having him discuss... Like, let me pitch this. Just him, like, you know, discussing it with Miku in private and him being conflicted about it. And then the group... <laughs> private discussions in this show are forbidden. I know. I, I, <laughs> I, I know. And, you know, like, that's where he feels, like, more aligned against Papa, but then it's the group thing in the open and he might be overheard and that's when he falls back in step. That would be better. But no, we don't get that. It's just inconsistent character writing. Congratulations. Congratulations. And then uh, we go back to Frank's. And at this point, you know, after his lady has has died and Ape has uh, largely taken over uh, and he's kind of experimenting on Klaxosaurus, he says he's sort of given up on humanity. Uh, and the future of humanity uh, in favor of seeking a perfect life form. And there's some some footage in this shot here after the um, after we switch back to the flashback, in which I thought to myself that like, you know, one thing I think that the show is conveying pretty well that has some emotional punch is the fact that, you know, the children being used as fuel so that the, you know, previous generation, the immortals, can live sort of listless uh, comfort out uh, for the rest of their days is, um, I think, potent. Uh, I, I can, I that got some emotion out of me that, you know, the older generation is just breeding these kids to 
to to throw out to the wolves to use uh, as coal as fuel you know to support their own pursuits of you know whatever to, to support their security uh and that uh, you know just you know it seemed poignant it seemed dare i say relevant i and you've you've mentioned this before no i i have I'm going to keep my mouth shut for now, and I'm just going to say <laughs> that I'm going to remember what you've said here. Uh, I'm saying nothing more. Just just, but trust me on this. Like I am exercising an immense restraint not to say things that I know that ahead of time. Let's move on before I let anything slip. Well, Frank's here's a rumor, conveniently a, enough. A rumor, that, oh my uh, god. Yes, <laughs> there's rumored that ape... Uh, know about this uh queen bee quote unquote of the claxosaurus that there's a there's a queen and it turns out they know her exact location yep yeah and so franks is part of a military delegation i guess to go search for her uh and they you know go under the earth and see like oh wow this is an ancient civilization of claxosaurus and uh, his guard uh, gets killed pretty pretty quickly. Um, I I have to say, like you know, I, I don't know if this is intentional, but this must absolutely be a direct homage to aliens because they have the scan, uh-huh. the motion tracker, anything. But the funny yeah. thing is, is that when I thought That's of true. that reference, it made me think of another thing as well, which is a famous line from Aliens, which is "Nuke them from orbit." It's the only way to be sure. Because here's my question: If they know where the Klaxosaur Queen is. Sarah Kerrigan. I mean, it's the, the, the establishing <laughs> shot is of, is of the volcano. It's the same place. She's not moved between this point in the flashback and present day. When you know when we had the other Robo Bishops go visit her previously. So mm-hmm. my question is, why didn't they just simply nuke the volcano? Like they have nukes. They established that earlier on. I'd, I'd be very surprised if they gave them up. You know when they took out the plantations on. Like that would seem a bit silly. So mm-hmm. why not just nuke the volcano and bury her under several thousand tons of rock and kill her? You know where she is. For that matter, why not attack that place directly? If you could attack the Grand Crevasse in such numbers, what stop you from doing the same here? Like, are you uh... telling are you tell are you telling <laughs> me that you know they knew where she was all this time and didn't do anything like that? They didn't even attempt it. Yes, that is what I'm telling you. This is <laughs> absolute horse shit. Perhaps, perhaps there are essential magma reserves that they will obliterate if they nuke that spot. Maybe. But for that matter, I then have to ask, what on earth has the Klaxosaur princess been doing all this time? I mean, to give you guys some mm. idea of the time frame on this, the establishing shot earlier is we get to see Nana and Hatchie as children, you know, when they're the first generation of Frank's pilots. And then, of course, you know, you can extrapolate how old our Squad 13 heroes are. So that's how long this has passed. It's been at least a decade and a half, if not more than that. And you're telling me she's just been down in that same volcano all this time and has done nothing. I mean, the attacks that she has sent, if she's controlling the Klaxosaurs, have been terrible. <laughs> They've been absolute rubbish. I mean, the only reason that she hasn't won admittedly is because initially the Squad 13 kids were terrible as well. But come on, I'm going to send a single Cthulhu Klaxosaur. You've got hundreds, if not thousands of them. Like, it's honestly, like, I'm absolutely stunned. Like, she just didn't do anything. And, fuck, like, yeah. Humanity is a belligerent and warlike species, unlike the Klaxosaurs. 
Yes, which is entirely why they have, you know, giant T-Rex robots that shoot lasers out of their mouth. <laughs> uh, of course. Yeah. Uh, but yes, indeed, uh, Frank's team, uh, some guards, some guys in hazmat suits, whatever, they're all killed by Sarah Kerrigan herself. Was it by her herself? I wasn't. Yeah, I they, 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 she, they were stabbed by. Some of them were stabbed by her, like you know, yeah, her spider, like her wings or whatever you want to call them. Uh huh. So she like sort of emerges, kills those guys, and and comes face to face with uh, with Verna, and uh, he is smitten with her. Of course, uh, he is entranced. He's found now the perfect life form that he's obsessed with. Uh, again, a very rote uh, trait of a bad scientist uh, character. So, uh, done nothing to enhance that type or make it interesting or put a spin in nope. Uh, so, yeah, he's just like sort of drooling over her uh, as she communicates messages into his brain, like saying... Uh, come over here, extend your hand, and then she licks him, and he, I'm pretty sure, has an orgasm. I, uh, uh. <laughs> like, uh, is, is, uh, elated and euphoric from, from the touch of her tongue upon his fingers. She literally and... wants to check if he tasted like chicken. And if you think I'm joking... Yeah, you have the scent of my people on you, she says, and, and, uh, you know, your sins are now are too great for me to just kill you. Uh, so I guess she was just going to kill him. In which case, I mean, why didn't she just do it? Early? I don't know. Who can say? Yeah. Anyway, she bites like, off his arm. Fate worse than death for you. I will. You will live. And, uh, you know, per, per, I guess, I don't know. Maybe touch is quite important for, for Klaxosaurs and to, to live without uh, one of your your main methods of touch. I don't know, perhaps she considers that suffering. Maybe she wanted him. I mean, who knows what she's thinking? I don't she know. Did, she they did don't... him a favor because he actually said in an earlier line that if he could, he'd replace his entire body with a mechanical one. That's true. So, so uh, what, a, what a punishment. Rips his arm off with her teeth. And, uh-huh. uh, and then he rides her out on the ground uh, in painful uh, euphoria. Yeah, and, and he's, uh, he's, he's leaking like he's... his Capri son. <laughs> He really is. It's like MK2 levels of, of blood. I mean, he's just gushing a fountain and uh, lives by putting his hand over the uh, the wound. <laughs> In case you're wondering, folks, there is no explanation whatsoever for how Frank survives this. Yeah. Yeah. Unsure of how he made it out of there. I mean, uh, if he if he had just... Loss. Yeah, exactly. Like, I would get maybe that there was a transport waiting for him, but, you know... He is, like, he's lost his entire fucking arm here. He is, he is leaking like the Titanic. <laughs> so, how he, uh, I mean, how he survives, don't know, not explained. Fuck this show. Let's move on. Correct. So, uh, and thus ends the big flashback, I think. Mm-hmm. We see that the kids want to talk to Papa and say, hey give our friends their memories back and they beseech the robo bishops to do so and the robo bishops say well we can't do that we didn't just take them we deleted them so they're gone uh tough luck and futoshi uh gets very upset by this 
he is very angry and shouting at them. Uh, and Zorame, uh, in a, you know, parallel to Zero Two, steps forward and asks Papa how many more Klaxosaurus he has to kill before uh, he becomes an adult. Well, he asks for all of them, in the same way that Zero Two asks about killing Klaxosaurus to become human. Mm-hmm. And the Robo Bishops uh, remain silent. And uh, Zorame, you know, I guess they, you know, it would have probably behooved them to just throw out a random number to to keep uh, him as their faithful disciple. But they just, you know, I guess they're sort of feeling like <laughs> overwhelmed by their own lie. They don't know what to say to this kid. Well, they, they say uh, they say that they'll do it after the next mission. Well, no, they, they, so they say they say that about the their freedom. But oh, when right. talking about being an adult, they just don't say ah, anything. And he yeah. says, well, what are we living for then? Are we really just vessels like that he made to fight and die? And yet again, they remain silent. So, yep, it, that's in fact the case. Uh, kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, then Hero takes over. He steps to the mic and says, you're not our papa anymore. Uh, oh. After this mission... We want to go free, and I, they're like, I, "Cool, I, <laughs> that's fine. Do what you got to do, like here, and then we're good." I have many things I need to say about <laughs> this fucking conversation because I don't. No one who speaks in this in this conversation, apart from the ape guys, I suppose, acts like they have a single brain cell. Um. So okay. I don't fault Zorame. No, uh, Zorame, Zorame is fine. Although I think that he's been a bit, still perhaps a bit too dense to, you know, by like, come on guys. Like th- yeah. this is, this is beyond the point in which you should be leaving this anymore. Okay. Mm-hmm. Couple of things. First off, Hero stepping up and say like, we're not going to believe you anymore. Does he not remember how willing Ape are, you, are to use force to put them in line? They've done it with him when he was a kid, when he stole Zero Two away. They did it at the wedding. Him saying that out loud puts bullseyes on every single one of them. I don't disagree with his sentiment, but he really should have kept his, his bloody trap shut here. Now, I know ahead of time, by the way, why Ape is so lenient on them, but I'm not going to spoil that. But I, at this moment, this is a really stupid, stupid thing to do. From his perspective, yeah. It's really, really dumb. He should have kept his mouth shut. Second... This is the point in which he finally, finally reveals to everyone that, oh yeah, you were raised mm-hmm. by the Zero Two's memories. That's right. Does anything happen as a result of this? No. <laughs> Not a damn fucking thing. What even was the fucking <laughs> point? No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm really going off one. What even was the fucking point of episode 13? What even was the point? Let's... <sighs> We went through all that. That was one of the best episodes of the show. We got some genuine, interesting backstory here. And it doesn't mean shit. We finally get it revealed, and it doesn't matter. No one has anything to reflect on it. Not a damn thing. He just says it out loud like it's the most minor thing ever. And no one even reacts to it. There's not even a gasp from the other kids there going, Wait, it happened to you too? Yeah. Are are you fucking taking the piss here, Franks? (laughs) <laughs> and thirdly, thirdly, Hero says we want you to give memories back. Hero, y- you've had your own memories erased. You know how to get them back. Indeed, y- you know, it was almost highlight hinted at earlier on, in which Ritoshi said Mitsu and Kokoro should pilot together again. 
Because that's how you got your memories back with Zero Two through the mind meld. You yeah, know how you this could be done. Engage, you have to engage in autoerotic asphy- 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 asphyxiation. <laughs> Don't, uh, believe me, the show's doing that to me. It's strangling the life out of me. <laughs> so, thirdly, or so, fourthly rather, what kind of naivety do you have to run with to have gone through, you know, all of the stuff you've been through where the wedding was disrupted, where, you know, the, the flower wanted to kill you if you because you stole zero two and then wipe your own memories and all the other horrible stuff that's happened. Now people will make the apologetic argument that you know they're indoctrinated, you know, to serve Papa's will and all that. No, that's this is past that point. They're all unhappy about it. Zorame is the only one who offers any even hint of it, and even he is broken at this point. So even even if you know Ape genuinely wouldn't you know just flat out shoot them all dead there and then. You know, because for their, you know, for for them stepping our line, like you have to be incredibly dense and incredibly naive to believe that they would ever grant that request in the first place. I honestly feel like the moment those characters step through that door, like Hero in particular, always been a dense bastard, and at this point he's just got nothing but air and mothballs between his ears. Fucking really. So after all that, it doesn't accomplish shit, and the. One of the most potentially, you know, dramatic reveals of the entire show, you know, that could have meant so much, you know, discussion for characters, what it means for Zero Two, what it means to Hero. It's just a one-line reveal that means I know. Fuck I mean, all. like, yeah. I mean, yes. Like, you could have if the knowledge that the memories were taken from them by itself doesn't mean anything like you could give them those pasts and not do that you know what i mean i, I agree with you like it seems like a lot of wasted potential wasted time wasted t- waste potential waste everything <laughs> uh, Any- anyway yeah I- although and then the last thing of the episode is uh is frank's saying you know revealing to us the audience that zero two is in fact a clone or some sort of direct descendant, or, or flawed copy, or we haven't don't, don't have the details. I just will say clone as a matter of, of shorthand of the queen, mm-hmm. and we could, you know, you can see her appearance and and uh, and see that, uh, and then episode end. Yeah, Frank's oh, out. Before I forget, uh, to continue the trend of you know uh, going out with a whimper rather than a bang here, you know, not delivering on previously established plot points. Hero confronts Dr. Franks in the elevator about what happened. And oh, fuck, yes. And my God, does he deliver it in such a, you know, you, you, you know, you took my lunch out of my fridge manner. <laughs> it was honestly pathetic. Like, I, like, I'll never what? forgive you. <laughs> what, what did you want him to do? To, like slap him with a uh, a fencing glove or something. I wanted him to get emotive. I wanted him to get angry. I mean, it. Yeah. If if you experienced those memories, I mean, you'd feel like you would. That was that was terrible. Werner Franks is a terrible person. Yeah. Um. On top of that, this again. I'm sorry. Sorry to say, is Hero's thing, not Zero Two's. Because while he did have his memories erased, she was the one who was violated in such a way. You know, mm-hmm, when he was yeah. blo- when he was blowing holes clean in her. Does Zero Two get in on any of this with Frank's? You know, to say, "Fuck you, you <sighs> no. piece of shit." 
No. No, he gets to have the indignation on her behalf. It's not about her. <laughs> God, you're so right. God, that's so fucking dumb. Yeah. And as Doc okay. has said, basically, Frank Scar holds somehow of a, a couple of strands of the princess's hair. H- how that happened and how she didn't notice this, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> how did she not notice? It also, if Zero Two is indeed, you know, a hybrid or a clone or whatever you want to call it of, of Sarah Kerrigan, um, why was she red? Why does she have two horns when the Klaxosaur princess only has one central horn? Why does she not have any of the tentacle-related stuff? Well, he's right. I mean, the clone is probably bad phrasing. Like, she's spliced uh, together cells from the queen and, and humans. But how does she um, have two horns? Perhaps the one, what the fuck is yeah, going on? I don't this... know. I don't know. Who fucking knows? And maybe she's like the umpteenth attempt uh, of many. I mean, who knows? Maybe she's the second attempt. <laughs> she has the zero two bracelet on, uh, and there's a and there's a, a prototype out you mean there a, lurking you, around you, somewhere. You mean a code zero zero one? Indeed. Spoilers for episode twenty. Code zero zero one is the Klaxosaur princess. Not that. By the way, that does not what? mean. What? No, no. By don't worry. It doesn't mean that Frank's created her or anything. That's just the the code he he says that she is. Doesn't oh, mean it. Doesn't mean okay, it. Doesn't so, mean anything. So there was not a okay. Well, so this, she's then the first attempt. Zero two is okay. Yep, that is correct. Okay, all right. Well, how do you how do you rate this episode? <laughs> it may surprise you to know, but I actually did not hate this episode more than I hated seventeen. The one, the one I really, really threw the rat, <laughs> threw the rattle out of the pram on. Because the thing is, right. the vast majority of this episode is not actually preaching a mess. Well, there is the atheist stuff which you pointed out, which I didn't even think of. But you are entirely correct. That is stupid, and I hate it. Um, but. For me, the vast majority of this episode was just failures, technically speaking, as far as the narrative goes, like plot holes, inconsistencies, uh, wasting my time. A lot of it wasn't actively offensive to me. But that being said, it is such a catastrophic failure at what it attempts to do or what it wants to do that it's still easily one of the worst episodes of the show. And for that, um, in the end, my God, I will give it one... And a half Australian New Kings out of five. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I thought this episode was a pretty dismal failure uh, on everything it tried to do. As you say, uh, it set the degree of difficulty for itself quite high, being an exposition-laden episode. Any show would struggle to pull that off and be... it remotely sort of you know entertaining to an average degree uh this you know failed that bar uh it it failed in that you know it tries to humanize this character who we've seen is remorseless and terrible and sets him up like it it goes about humanizing him by making him a like cookie cutter mad scientist so that doesn't really help it does not answer a lot of the burning questions. It raises questions. Uh, man, I just... I think I have seen from my response to this episode that 
actually don't like like I thought the world building initially when I was viewing episode one, of course, and and early episodes, I thought the world building would be a strength of the show, but I've come to just not care about it really too much at all. I mean, there are points that will be interesting in their own stories uh, if expanded upon, but as part of this story, I don't really care. Um, the high school drama stuff is the stuff I actually find the most engaging, even more than the robot fights, which for me have been pretty lackluster in this show. By the way, uh, since episode 16, uh, we've not had a single actual robot fight or anything. Uh, uh, okay, so... Blah. Uh, God. Right. So, I yeah, done not a lot of positive things I can say about this episode. Some of the moments of Zorme were nice. That depiction of cruelty to younger generation by the older ones. Um, I thought, you know, that had some poignance. We'll see how they spoil that. Oh, I already know how they. I already know how uh, they do. You do. I. So, I do. But I'm keeping my mouth shut. I want you to experience it raw when you get to twenty. Because by God, I, folks, just to get it out of the way ahead of time, uh, we are actually going to do. I know we're catching up here, but because we're cool like that, we're actually going to do episode twenty tomorrow. At the time of recording, we're going to come back tomorrow and record episode twenty. We're going to give you a double whammy. And Doc has not yet seen episode twenty. I have, and Doc. It gets worse. Great. Uh, I don't know if it can get much worse. Than, You're not uh, ready. Than one detached arm out of five. Damn. That's a, so that's the worst episode of the show for you thus far, then? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Unequivocally for me. We're going to buckle up because, because, like I say, I've seen episode 20, and I... <laughs> I <laughs> like... Well, let's play this way right. Doc, we, you and I both watched Cardo, The Wrong Answer. And we did. Y- you recall how that spiraled out of control towards the end. Mm-hmm. It's on par, if not worse, with that kind of, you know, tailing off into the distance. Of oh going boy. completely off the rails. Oh I, I was not ready for it. And... Damn. It's... <sighs> let's just play this way, folks. We'll be back... Very like these episodes will be out very shortly after each other because uh, Doc is very kindly editing twenty while I'm doing nineteen, so we can get them both out in time and therefore we can catch up and give you the full undiluted stream of force experience. So I am looking forward, quote unquote, uh, to recording episode twenty because it's such a trip. It's at this point, it's just it's like being strapped into, you know, a straight jacket and just laughing as you're trolley through the asylum because it just literally drove me nuts in a cackling kind of way. Hopefully I'll be more on my pod game tomorrow. Uh, I felt, after not doing this for, I think, three weeks, I definitely felt rusty today. Ah, you're fine. I was not at my best. You were fine. uh, We'll spring back into action, as you say, recording tomorrow, and you've got me... uh, Excited about episode 20. Yay. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, where can people find you online? You can find me at Shade and Tencent on Twitter, folks. Uh, feel free to, you know, hit me up for anything. Yeah, you can find me at The Subtle Doctor on Twitter. Uh, please reach out. Uh, let's talk Franks or other better anime. Let's talk, about Meg- let's talk about Megalobox. Let's talk about... How I need to watch more Megalobox. I'm very behind on Megalobox for some reason. 
oh. caught up with this goddamn piece of garbage. <laughs> I'm, I said it before on Twitter, and I'll say it again. I am so sour on the fact that I'm in the timeline where I'm doing Franks and not Megalobox as a stream of thought. <laughs> Because the, I know. Because thing is right, in this episode, I've said at length about many technical things that are fucked up, like, you know, the script not making sense or the direction being off. Everywhere that this show zigs, Megalobox zags. It's on point. There's so much great visual artistry in it, like deliberate framing, and the script is tight. So, man, well, what could have been? if you haven't. But, uh, but yeah, for Shadon and myself, the Subtle Doctor, thanks for tuning into Watery Dish Show. Indeed. Stream of Thought. Darling in the Franks episode 19 in Humanity. We will be back very soon, but until then, embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe. Mm-hmm.